0: This morning we're talking about leadership. Turn to Acts chapter 1, if you will. And we're going to wrap up the first chapter of Acts after three weeks. I'm so excited. Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide our time in the Word today. Father, You have given us all good things. And Lord, we will, we will dive into Your Word this morning. We will hungrily uh, dissect it we will peer into a time of history where You were involved. It was the birthplace of the church. What a fascinating time to look into. And Father, as we look under the auspices of leadership, speak powerfully to help us understand what to do with the leadership around us in this world. How do we live in light of failed leadership, strong leadership? Who do we look to? Who should we follow? How then should we live? Let your words speak mightily this morning, God. To you be the glory. Amen. I, you know, when we drive different places, I even remember this as a kid that you'll see different things going on around you like nature, you know, on 680. It's the cars humming by you. That's nature. But every once in a while you see real nature. And I used to be enthralled. And, and it just happened when we drove out to Sacramento recently to see my son. Um, you know, out there just before you get to Sacramento are the, are the rice fields. And apparently it's this big uh, estuary or big area for uh, birds. And so as we start getting to those, those, those bridges, right? You think you're in Florida somewhere there? I start seeing these flocks of small birds. I'm not a bird guy. I just know it's a bird. So I don't know if it's starlings. I don't know what it is. But I, I used to love watching um, doves, right? And, and we've seen that happen. Where do they release doves at, say, a wedding or a ceremony? Or, and, and we all look up and we watch the doves and we're all wondering what? Oh, that person just lost all their doves. You know, what's going to happen to those poor doves? And so, what I find fascinating is watching that group move together, right? That's kind of the cool thing. See, and how do they, do, you know, are, are they like somebody's holding up a sign, follow me? You know, is one like giving off some kind of pheromones? And so, everybody else is following that, that lead dove. Um, how do they know where to go? And I'm always fascinated because whether it's doves, whether it's starlings, whatever it is, it's never the lead guy. There's always somebody out front, but then it's like the third row back. Somebody diverts, and you know, you know, and then all of a sudden the whole group goes this way, and this guy for like a split second is going off on their own, and all of a sudden they realize I'm no longer the leader. Oh no! And they just you know they fall, and then you got that one that's just, you know, he's a few seats short of of uh, the whole group, right? Sometimes we feel like that on on given days. But I'm fascinated, how does that work? Who gets to be the leader? And how do they determine that? In our society, that is a valuable question. Who gets to be the leader? We are going to see some fascinating things this morning as we unpack this. Let's go ahead and read it this morning. And we're going to be in verses 12 through 26. And and we're going to go... Piece by piece. So let's, let's read verses 12-14 through 14 right now. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. And, and I'll stop there. You know, a leader is not to be judged today. Not tomorrow. But a leader should be judged when the job is done. Good leaders are often polarizing in their decisions, right? Lincoln was hated deeply. And obviously, hated so deeply that he was assassinated. You look at other leaders... Um, they were unsupposed people. They were not people who were pining for the limelight. Gandhi became an international leader, not because he gave great speeches, not because he was born from, from blue blood, so to speak, but it's because of what he stood for. And he simply was who he was, and that was appealing to people. And so, because of his character, because of his nature, people followed. And we can look at leader after leader. Most leaders in life never asked for the job. They were compelled. Most good leaders never asked for the job. There's many quotes about leadership that help us understand the vastly important tenets of leadership. And we're going to see it play out here in the upper room in a minute. St. Augustine says this of leadership. Dost thou wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that shall pierce the clouds? Lay first the foundation of humility. Tozer said about leadership, a true and safe leader is likely to be one who has no desire to lead, but is forced into a position of leadership by the inward pressure of the Holy Spirit and the press of of the external situation. Scripture tells us that it is when we are weak that He is what? Strong. To follow the leadership of Jesus Christ, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, if we claim to know Him, if we claim to believe Him, if we claim to be in Him, then we must walk as He walked. Jesus was unique. Jesus was a true leader. And He had thousands that followed Him. Did He not? He brought a new message. He brought a message of hope. He brought healing to people. And yet, when people wanted to crown Him, what would He do? He would retreat. He would remove Himself. Because He understood His purpose, His conviction, His time, the ultimate plan. And it was to serve Jesus says to his disciples, unless you are willing to serve, unless you are willing to leave your family, your comforts, unless you're willing to take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. This is Jesus' leadership. And he got people to actually do that. Why? Because he demonstrated it. (coughs) He walked it. He walked the walk while he talked the talk. And so John says, if we want to claim Jesus, we have to walk as Jesus walked. Each of you in a certain form or in a certain way is a leader. Why? If you know Jesus Christ, you've been asked to represent Him. That makes you a leader. You see, we look at leader positionally sometimes, don't we? Someone who's standing up here on the stage. Fine, I'll fix that. I'm no longer your leader. Right? That works, right? Of course that doesn't work. But that's what we do in our society. You know, we hear a statement all the time. Not my president. Right? Oh, now you did it, Pastor. (laughs) You're right. I did it. And we're going there today. We are going there. You know, here's the fascinating thing. If you're on Facebook, <laughs> you might need to cleanse your mind for a long time. But here's what's fascinating about Facebook. And I just read this from a good friend of mine who commented on this very issue. with some great words of wisdom. We need to stop if you 're on Facebook, we need to stop grabbing articles from third party groups that support our position and just throwing them out there so that it it stirs up more con- and improves my side and shows how how um, how how good my president is or how bad my president is and it's so hard to see people who should be so enamored with Jesus Christ and living in His peace and His love so disturbed by who the leader of this country is. And by the way, who am I talking about? I'm talking about all the Christians who posted horrible things about President Obama. Now I got your attention, don't I? Because I'm sure there are many of you that thought I was going the other way. Well, fine. Since you asked me to, I'll go that way too. (laughs) Jesus said these words, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, render unto God which is God's. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are God's! You belong to no man! And no man has power to take away your, your life, your peace, your love, your joy. No man. No Congress, no Supreme Court, no President, nobody. But you can give it to them. You can give it to them on a daily basis. The choice is yours. I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. Why? Because it works. Let's look at it. How was that for an intro? (laughs) That wasn't on the notes. Leadership listens. You can pull out your notes. and, And the first one that you can fill in the blank here is that leadership listens. This is fascinating. I'm going to try to do this through the avenue of storytelling. So the disciples obey and go to the upper room. I've been to the upper room. Anybody been to the upper room? It's awesome. It's got all these signs that say the upper room, the real one, the actual official upper room, right? And you're like, wow, you really still have it. And it's amazing how polished everything is. And there's nice new paint and everything. And by the way, if you're charismatic and you go to the upper room, I just, I kind of advise against it. Although, you know, all of Jerusalem is stone. I went there with a good friend of mine. We were up there and, and a lady got slain in the spirit and she fell down and hit her head on stone and knocked herself unconscious and had to be medevaced out of there. So you be careful where you are when the spirit hits you in Jerusalem. That's all I'm saying. I've been to the upper room. Fascinating place. I don't know that it was this one. Probably not. What do we know about the upper room? Probably the place where they had the Last Supper. Probably a frequent place of community that they gathered in, right? A familiar place, a safe place. Is this a safe place? I certainly hope it's safe for you. I certainly hope this place is safe for you. I hope that this is a place you want to gather to. That there's a warmth, there's an understanding that when you arrive at this place, just picture yourself like the disciples that you've gathered that night. Now, they obey Jesus. What? We left this, right? Jesus said, Do what? He said, You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other ends of the earth. He says, Wait, just wait. The Holy Spirit is coming. Go nowhere. Just So where do they go? They go to what's familiar. And they're all gathered there. They obey. Leadership listens. Now they've got some pretty big leaders of the church here, right? John. Thomas. Bartholomew. All of these individuals that went out and they they took that Word. They obeyed. And you also have... Peter, right? you got some real leadership material here. Have you ever been in a situation like they were in where all of a sudden everything gets flipped on its head? Remember what their words were. Um, before you leave, Jesus, what about this kingdom thing? You were going to like get rid of the Romans, right? Jesus, we can't stand the Romans. They're orange. They have bad hair. They want to build a wall. Jesus, can you please get rid of them? Because I know you don't... Can I just... Let's stop again. Obedience, right? I'm going to give you the perfect political pill. It's called the book of Daniel. And I want you to look at Daniel's love for Nebuchadnezzar. You want to talk about a despot. Nebuchadnezzar was that guy. And yet, Daniel was able to thrive because he never got his eyes off of God. Never got his eyes off of God. And so that's what the disciples do here. Is that they obey. They listen to the instruction by their leader, Jesus Christ. And so they go and they gather and they're waiting. They're waiting. What are they doing? Well, it's interesting. Let's look at this this group that's there gathered together in the upper room it's uh it's a gangly group it's a it's thousands right jesus how many thousands were on the mount of olives during the triumphal entry it's it's the thousands that came from galilee it's all these people because jesus being god such a strong leader had an incredible incredible ministry over the three years that he was there think about how many people he healed if jesus healed you would you not follow him would you not have this great dedication to him so many, it must have been a huge room. It's just an upper room, and there's 120 people there. Brothers and sisters, the first church. This is it. This is the very first church. 120 people. That's where it started. Pretty cool. You ever feel like we need to we need to be a different church? We need to be um, these other things. We need this church is going to listen to their leader. We're going to obey our leader. And I think it's fantastic that we have slightly over 120 people. Who's in the room? Well, all the disciples. Jesus' brothers. Fascinatingly enough, Jesus' brothers are there. Um, they didn't initially believe in him. But after the resurrection, things changed. And that's an amazing thing. So all of a sudden, Jesus' brothers are there. It's believed that, you know, Mary, Mary Magdalene, uh, the mother of Jesus, um, and, and on and on. Uh, let's, let's look at the actual scripture here so you can see it. Um, pick it up in verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now who are the women? We don't know for sure. He doesn't, he's not explicit. But it is supposed that it is the women that were, that were helping as part of Jesus' ministry. I hope you realize that Jesus had women helping him in his ministry. They were an integral part of this. And it wasn't just Mary Magdalene. It wasn't just... Mary, the mother of Jesus. There are those that think that maybe even Jesus had sisters. And you go back to the Gospels where it talks about His family, that Jesus is kind of you know, going off here, right? And His family came to get Him. And, and say, we need to kind of get you out of the sun, Jesus. Uh, we don't really understand what you're saying. So when you look at that, you understand that the family gets it now. The family gets it. Those who were closest to Jesus are those that are listening and they are comprising of 120 people. The church hinged on 120 people. What if those 120 didn't listen? And they said, our leader is gone! Have you ever felt that way? Maybe in the political landscape right now you feel that way. Our leader is gone. He's not gone. He's not gone. But sometimes we end up just like the disciples where Jesus is getting ready to ascend and we're like, wait, this can't be how you expect it to be. This can't be how you expect it to be. You've got to fix it. And He says, it's not for you to know the times. My Father is in control. Just obey. Go. Gather together and don't move until I give you the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, you and I have that same Holy Spirit if we know Jesus Christ. We have everything we need to survive or thrive whatever the social, cultural, political landscape is around us. Amen? Amen. Remember that when you go back on Facebook. Second point, leadership speaks. So, number one, leadership listens. All these leaders, all these powerful, strong leaders, what do they do? They go out into the streets, they start. No, they didn't. They listened and they obeyed and they gathered and they were praying. So, leadership speaks, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before. Beforehand, by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now I'll come back to 17 in just a minute. Um, we'll, we'll get into all that in just a minute. But I want you to see something. How many of you love Peter? Mr. Impulsive. Right? Yeah. This guy is very much like your pastor. We think out loud, and it gets us in trouble all the time you know we, we we've got we've got hearts that want the best for everything but sometimes this is going faster than this should be processing and peter is very impulsive there is a landscape here brothers and sisters for peter to pull another peter move and yet he's listening he's listening and i would picture picture with me if you will gathered together with all of these we don't know for how long necessarily Not explicitly, but he's gathered and there's nothing happening and they're waiting. How long would you last? How long would you last? It's like that awkward moment where, you know, somebody's got a little something right here at the Thanksgiving dinner table and and you're like, I don't want to be the one to tell them, but this is getting embarrassing. Everybody knows it's there and somebody's got to say something. And, you know, you have that little internal thing going, Right. Picture that in the upper room, they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And if you have this natural compulsion, this desire, this impulsivity—that's a Jer word—if you are Peter, you gotta see something happen. Well, it's amazing that they were spending their time praying. And I think during that prayer time, Peter's head got in the right spot. That's something for us to look at here, brothers and sisters. When we're in an unsure, unsecure landscape, pray. Pray, pray, pray. We have scheduled tonight at 5.30 to be here praying. You know what I realized? It's Super Bowl Sunday. So we're going to do one better. I'm going to ask you all to follow in the tradition of the first church. And when the halftime show goes on, I know how much you all love Lady Gaga. I know you got posters in your rooms. I know she's on your, your playlist. Okay, I got it. No, I don't know that. And we'll have a counseling session if you do. Um, I said that very softly so it can't go out over the internet. Um here's what I would like us to do. In contemplation of what we're hearing today about this first church, and in contemplation to the unsecure landscape of our land, can I ask us, whoever you're with, and you may be at somebody else's party, I don't know, you can either make the suggestion or you can sequester yourself, whatever that looks like, and spend 15 minutes praying. I guarantee you that if you ask whoever you're with, can we pray for peace in our land? It'll be the highlight of your Super Bowl. I encourage you, that's what your leadership is asking for us to do today. Right? They were praying, but Peter can't be quiet. It's in his blood. It's in his nature. He can't be quiet, so he stands and he speaks. But what does He say? He breaks the silence. At least, Luke, this is the first thing that we see. And what does He say? He talks about the elephant in the room. They've got all this time to be thinking and they're thinking about Christ and they're thinking about Christ, but who else were they thinking about? One who had walked with them. One who had suffered with them. One who they thought was part of them. Judas. Judas. He's now dead. Tragic. Tragically dead. And all of this happened in such an ether that they really couldn't pay attention. I would would be willing to say that, that it's not too far off the speculation meter to say that as they watched Judas betray Him, what would any of us do? Would we just let this happen? Or will we go after our brother and say, Judas, what is going on? What is happening? I would dare say that if the events of all that happened over those two nights weren't what they were, so their primary focus was Christ and their own life and their own fear, they would have gone after Judas, but they never found the time. Brothers and sisters, now your friend, now your, compartment, or your, your compadre is dead. Think it's on your mind? And so the Spirit is working in Peter's thoughts and he's saying, We've got to address this. We've got to deal with this. At least we can deal with this while we're waiting for whatever it is God has. See, leadership speaks where it's allowed to speak, but it listens first and it knows the parameters of where it can lead. And Peter understood that. We can deal with this. We can deal with this. And still wait and be obedient. So he stands up and he speaks. And it's by no, no coincidence that he's quoting Scripture. He's quoting Scripture. Peter's purpose prevails over peer pressure. Five times fast. No? No takers? I'll say it one more time. Peter's purpose prevails over peer pressure. Why would I say peer pressure? Peter's not batting 1,000. He's not even batting 300. If he's going to stand up and he's going to talk about Judas's failures, oh. we have no record of he and the other disciples talking as of yet about Peter's miserable failures. Now obviously they have accepted him because he's with them. He was with them when they were gathered after the resurrection. He was running with John to the tomb. Peter is accepted, but we don't know if they've talked. We don't know if they've healed. And yet, Peter doesn't give in to that pressure. Not only does he not give in to that pressure, truth and what needs to happen compels him to stand and speak, even though he probably would be someone in his mind saying, I don't know if I'm qualified. Because I denied Christ three times, what are they gonna think of me if I stand and speak? But see, leadership speaks when it needs to be said, it forgets about oneself. That's what leadership is. And so Peter speaks and he shares about Judas and what to do. He addresses that elephant in the room. In verse 15 or 16, he says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share of this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open into the middle and all of his boughs gushed out. Pretty gruesome. "...and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a That is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." This is fascinating. By the way, we're going to be scheduling a trip to Israel sometime next year. And if you go with me, you'll look. You'll be pointed out in the valley of Hinnom. Right over there is what they believe is Judas' field. And you can see these things. And all of Acts is going to... You're going to hear me say this almost every Sunday. Just so I can do a promotional on it. But the fascinating thing is, is they're sitting and they're praying. And they're thinking about what are we waiting for? Peter's mind goes to Judas. Where does it go next? It goes to Scripture. Now remember what's going to happen here in, in, in a few days. Pentecost is going to happen and then there's going to be such a, a, a controversy and such an unheralding of the power structure by the Sadducees and the high priest that they have to shut these guys down. And so they bring in Peter and they bring in John and we'll hear all about that and their assessment is these are uneducated men. What does that mean? Well... Peter's talking about Judas, and what does he do? He goes to Psalms. He goes to prophetic scripture. He knew the scripture. He knew what was said, and he was able to connect the dots. And so, what does he do in this moment? He doesn't speak extemporaneously. He doesn't try to give them a, hey, guys, it's going to be okay. He takes them right to the rock of scripture and he says, guys, don't forget this was prophesied this would happen. It's hard because it's one of ours. He had His lot in this ministry. But it's one of ours. He says, but it was prophesied it would happen. Hear the last verse. Let another take his office. This is where Peter's mind was. Thinking about who they were. What they were asked to do. And so they needed to be complete. Why? Why could they not have gone out with eleven disciples? Here's a fascinating point, because much of what happens in the New Testament under that new dispensation is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, 12 tribes of... Right? Do you know that when the new heaven comes down, there are 12 gates? And those are related to the 12? There's all this prophecy that fits with this. That's why it's believed there had to be 12. And So Peter's thinking as a leader. He's thinking as a leader. What's the next point? Oh, this one's not easy. Leadership fails. Leadership fails. Have you ever been in a position where you had to lead something and it just fell flat on its face? How'd you feel? Right? Never is this seen more than on the junior high playground. In the choosing of captains for teams. Who's going to be captain? Everybody takes a step back. I don't want to be captain. I don't want to be captain. I don't want to do it. It still happens out here with our basketball on Wednesdays, right? We don't, we don't choose captains. We, we, like, we kind of do what they're going to do here in a moment. We kind of like cast lots to see who's going to be on what teams. So we eliminate any sense of leadership. Right? We let, our, we let our play determine our leadership. That's why I'll never be the leader. So leadership fails. And in verse 20, we see him say, let another take his office. It had to be hard to hear this. I just received another piece of information about a pastor in Tennessee that had started a church. And recently, he announced to his congregation, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You all see what I do on Sundays, but that's a small portion of what this is. And He says, I'm empty. I have nothing left inside of me. Because He spent all this time trying to build this, 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 and this. And see, when a leader doesn't understand the, the limitations and doesn't operate within that, then they will fail. I actually don't necessarily see that as a failure. I see it as wisdom to step away when you don't have anything left in the tank. Michael Jordan should have done that three years prior to his retirement. Leadership fails. Failure serves a purpose. It humbles. It instructs. It teaches and strengthens. Perfect plans aren't always clean. Yet they are necessary. Right? Because we think, well, if, if I'm just going to fail, then I'm going to set it up to fail. Why set up a really good plan that goes beyond what I can try to do? Because if it's God's plan, God will make it succeed. Amen? God will make it succeed. Making sense of failure and tragedy, Peter turns to the Word of God. The last point today is leadership chooses. Leadership chooses. And let me finish this out. This is fascinating what happens. So, they hear the message of Peter. And they say what? Peter, sit down! Who are you to talk? Right? That's, that's in your... No? George, is it in the Amplified? No. It's not in the Amplified? No! He got no rebuffing! They listened to what he said because it had wisdom. Because what? Their leader who stood up Wasn't quite the leader yet, but he just felt compelled. He felt led by the Spirit. He wasn't promoting himself. He was addressing what needed to be addressed. And where did he go? His own authority? No. He went to Scripture. And that unified the room. The 120 church. Right? And so what are they going to do? Well, the instruction's clear. We have to choose another. So, they formed a committee And the committee met at least ten times. They surrounded it with prayer. They communicated effectively to all the other 120 in the room. And then they took a um, a, a leadership assessment test on those that were there in the room. And then they they went ahead and posted that to all the other people in Jerusalem. (laughs) Let's see what they did. So, one of the men who have accompanied us, during that, uh, accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when He was taken up from them. One of these men must become with us a witness, right? They were listening. Leadership listens. They were listening to Jesus' words. And so He's saying, this is what we're going to do. And so we're going to choose one of the men that were with us the entire time to replace Judas and become that witness. They have their purpose. They know what they're to be about. And Peter is reiterating the purpose from Christ from prior at the ascension. Now there's two guys. And they put forth two. Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and then Matthias. And they prayed and said, You Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two You have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Jesus turned, or Judas turned aside to go to His own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Who's going to be our new pastor? Well, um, we've got a strategy. It should be someone who's kind of with our belief system. It should be someone maybe that's been with us kind of from the beginning. It should be someone who agrees with our vision of where we're supposed to go because that's God given. Okay, we, we, we got all that. Okay, we're going to narrow it down to these two guys. Okay, how do we decide that now? Uh, let's crack for it. Paper, scissors, rock. Thank you, sir. That's leadership. Can you believe that's what they did? Now, what is our point? Leadership chooses they are not fearful to act. They are not fearful to act. We've just sung so many songs about the idea of fear and what it means to walk boldly with God. We are not to walk in fear. Peter brings up, we've got a problem that we can deal with now. Let's deal with it. This is what Scripture said. And he says, let's choose from among us. Wisdom, right? Let's choose from among us. Someone who's been with us from the beginning. Because why? Jesus put this mandate on us. We have our purpose. And that is to go out and be witnesses to the resurrection. Which is exactly what Jesus said. If that's going to happen, we need somebody who's going to be able to say all things that we can say. That they were a witness. It has to be somebody who saw all this. Obedience to the message. Okay, we got two guys. One guy who has three names. It's unbelievable. He's so, so popular. He's got three names. And then we got this other guy, Matthias. Well, we can't choose. So what are we going to do? We're going to leave it in God's hands. And we're just going to cast lots. And whichever lot falls on, on that person, we're going to trust that that's who God's man is. What's the challenge with this? And why would I say leadership chooses as our last point? We've got elect- electoral colleges. We've got popular votes. We've got primaries. We've got all of these things. And whenever our person doesn't get chosen, there is violence in the streets. And life is over as we know it. How do you think this justice guy feels? His name is Justice. I can just hear him saying, two out of three, two out of three. No, there's nothing recorded along those lines. Is that the lot fell upon Matthias and they moved forward? You are now part of this group, Matthias. You're part of the 12. What is required to do this? And here's where I want you to rest. You know, sometimes, this is where we started. Sometimes we wonder where is Jesus? In all of this, and we have problems trusting. You go back to the priestly prayer, John 17, and Jesus is talking to his father before the crucifixion, and he says, I have not lost any of them except the one. He even acknowledges it before his father. Now, Psalm says, What? Because you could hear that. I could hear that and say, oh, wow, really? Jesus, you only win 11 for 12? I mean, that's a great batting average, right Mike? But it's not Jesus' batting average. It needs to be 12 for 12. Go back to Scripture, my friends. I don't know why the 12 weren't thinking about this beforehand and wondering conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory, who's going to be the guy? You see, Scripture said there had to be one that... Betrayed Jesus. That's why Jesus didn't really lose one the way we think of it. But I think that maybe there would be a permeation in my mind. Can we really trust God? Like this, casting lots, can we really trust God to establish the new leader in this group when that one failed and Jesus handpicked him? What do you do with that? In closing, yes, you can trust God. Because there's a deeper part of the story that most people aren't aware of. Matthias was faithful to the end. That's all we need to know, right? A leader is not determined by today. A leader is not determined by tomorrow. But a leader is determined as to whether they were a good leader at the finish of their work. All 12 disciples glorified God. All 12 disciples fulfilled that vision. For you and I living in the world that we live in, we just got to peek into the very first church of 120. We got to see how they handled their very deep crisis while they were waiting. We got to see Peter step up and start to become the leader Jesus Christ prophesied he would become. We got to see... or Peter's steps of leadership to go back to Scripture and say, this must be taken care of. And how did they finish in this story? This this church of 120, they said ultimately, when it comes down to choosing between these two guys, we were part of the process, but between these two guys, we're going to leave it to the Lord. And we're going to cast lots. And we trust You, God. And what happened? Matthias was faithful to the end. Can I encourage you? Run with that thought. When you're getting hampered by the political landscape, whether it was eight months ago, or whether it's eight months from now, trust in God. It's His leadership that carries us through and helps us thrive. Amen? Amen. Amen. First look into the church at one i I'm going to go ahead and pray for the offering this morning, then we have a quick announcement. Well, just kind of a quick look into a couple guys fishing. And, uh, and we'll, see, we'll see what that looks like real quickly. If you've brought your offerings today, thank you so much. I'm going to pray that the Lord blesses those offerings. If you're visiting with us or if you're new or you have any prayer requests, fill those out on the back of those cards. And as you exit today, the box on the right, you drop that card in the box on the right. Your gifts and offerings go in the box on the left. And just know that we're aware of of a lot of the challenges that are happening within the body. We've been praying for them this week. Please be in prayer this afternoon during halftime for the church itself, for our church, and for the leadership of the church. And we will move forward with great expectation that God is King. God is our leader. Let me pray, and then we have a special thing to show you. Father, thank You so much today for showing us some insight from the first gathering of the church, your church, the bride, a group of 120 that did it right. They got it right. When all the climate around them was something that should be feared, and yet they turned to You. And we see the result. It was filled with power. It was filled by Your Spirit. And the church blossomed into that which You desire. Let us live in this pattern. Use our gifts today. Use them for your glory. Use them for your abilities, your, your work, and multiply them. Bless the giver, Father. To you be the glory. Amen.